Is podcast time. Hey everybody, how's it doing? Welcome back to Thoughtfully Absent-Minded. I'm your host, uh, Sim, Simotheus, Simolian, Sim, Simoldrian, Simolone, Simion, uh, Salmon, Semen, and uh, Cinnamon. Uh, today, I, I, I don't, I was having trouble thinking about what to, oh, first things first, yeah, sorry, um, I know that I said I was going to upload more consistently and on a schedule, and then I immediately did not, I did it one week, and I didn't even do all the episodes that I was said I was going to do that week, um, which is bad, and I, consistency is like the number one thing you need in like a podcast, apparently, that's what, uh, that's what Justin McElroy told me when I watched a um a uh, a, a a recording of a panel him and Travis did. Um, if you didn't know, uh, Travis, uh, Justin McElroy, uh, my brother, my brother, and me, uh, adventures, the Adventure Zone, uh, a lot of fucking others because they have a million and one podcasts. But um, so the main thing was I didn't really know. I didn't, I didn't. I just. I didn't have motivation. I don't have motivation. I don't know what to talk about. Um. So I'm just gonna pick a subject and then just just go with it. Um. And I'm gonna talk about Highlander. Oh, I'm gonna talk about movies. More than one movie, actually. Uh, Highlander is gonna be the first one I'm gonna talk about. So there are some instances where you go back and you watch a movie made in like the 80s that you remember fondly and you have a strong nostalgia for. And and most of the time. They're poopy diaper trash. Not all the time, but okay, not most of the time. Some of the time, they're poopy diaper trash. They're big old, big old steaming piles of big old horse dookie just sitting there on the screen, and you're like, "Wow, why did I like this? Why, why do, why do people like this, and why do people still like this now when they're adults now, and they can go back and rewatch it and realize how bad it is?" Um, and one of those is um, the Fifth Element. Uh, you can you can fight me as much as you want. Is bad. Uh, if you watch it as an adult, it's bad. It's a bad, poorly structured movie. Um, the villain is like the whole thing about Fifth Element is that it has really cool concepts and really interesting ideas, and then falls flat on its fucking face because it is a story that the director fucking wrote when he was 16 years old. And if that tells you anything, uh, if you're just like, oh, a 16 year old dude in like the 80s. Or I guess in the in the fucking like sixties, what would he want? You know, um, m- muscular everyman kind of guy who's like beefy and kind of gets the girls and is kind of a douchebag and sexist and a little bit homophobic and is really good with guns, but everyone loves him anyways. That's the main dude. That's the main dude. Um, and then the main girl is this chick who doesn't even barely speak English. She speaks in this weird baby gibberish and has the maturity of an adolescent, uh, 
12-year-old girl um, who doesn't speak in full sentences um, and does the gibberish baby talk thing, um, but then also subsequently only exists to wear provocative clothing that is very suggestive and very sexual um, and only does like cool kick-flippy martial arts things that the guys think are cool, and then she's all about being nude. And people see her nude, and then at the end of the movie, him, the main dude and the chick bone, even though they've only known each other for like two or three days. Um, because why not? It was written by a 16-year-old boy. Um, and a lot of the things, when you go back and watch it, just don't hold up. Like Gary Oldman's character, not intimidating, not even good. Like the concept of the character, and like if you look at just the transcripts, you're like, oh... That guy's kind of interesting, and then you hear it, and he's got this goofy southern accent? Bet you didn't remember that, because I sure as fuck didn't. I didn't remember he had a goofy southern accent. Um, and and the main and that movie suffers from a lot of bad shit uh, about like um, how like the villain isn't really that scary. Gary Oldman's character, not scary, not intimidating, right? The whole thing is that they set him up to be the main villain, um, or like a main villain that the story is going to follow. But they have this giant evil space entity supernova thing that's going to kill Earth and everything else. And you introduce that, like, right away. But then you introduce Gary Oldman's character as this other villain who you assume is going to be part of the main plot. But he doesn't even do that fucking much. He sells some guns to some aliens and then they end up killing themselves by accident because he tells them not to push a button on a gun and they do it and the gun explodes and he's like, I told you, it's not my fault. And that's all he does. And, and there's an establishing scene later when the, the giant space demon that is this mythical force, this entity that is just this giant space body calls him on the fucking phone and then he starts bleeding from his forehead, and then it pans out, and there's no open wound, there's just blood coming down his forehead. And the, that entire scene, right, that would have been cool, because it establishes that the villain you thought was the bad guy is just a whiny little baby who's a minion of the big bad guy, the big bad evil guy of the story. Um, and this guy, that is the main villain that you sort of feared, or you are supposed to fear, fears someone even greater. So that makes the the big bad evil guy even more of a big bad evil guy, right? And it doesn't work because Gary Oldman's character is not fucking scary. He's not intimidating. He's not a threat. He's not something that is threatening. I'll tell you that much. The only thing that's kind of threatening are the aliens that he double crosses who aren't even threatening because they look like goofy, lumpy, not that scary monsters. And... They they don't even do anything. They're just there to fuck shit up and get revenge on Gary Oldman. That's their entire point in the plot, is to get revenge on Gary Oldman, who's actually working for the evil guy. But they do more damage to the main cast, to Earth, to everyone in the story, than Gary Oldman's character, right? Like, Gary Oldman doesn't fucking do shit. And he, what's the point? Like, these other guys are more intimidating because they do more shit. But they're also just goofy and wacky, and they're supposed to just be these big, dumb aliens who don't know anything. And Gary Oldman's supposed to be the smarter one because he fooled them, but they actually get shit done. And Gary Oldman fucking does sh jack shit all. Um, and it's just bad. Sorry, that's seven minutes of me just talking shit about uh, 
<laughs> about Fifth Element when I'm supposed to be talking about uh, uh, Highlander. Um, so that's that's one instance where you go back and you watch a classic from your childhood that you really loved, and you realize that oh no, why did I like this? This is objectively quite literally just bad. Um, and then you go back and you watch something from your childhood, and you're like. This is way better than I thought it was. This is actually really good, and I enjoy it as an adult. Um, and that's Highlander for me. Like, I went back and I watched Highlander uh, two or three days ago. And I was surprised. There were some pretty big problems with it. But they had nothing to do with storytelling, which I think is, aside from cinematography, telling a good story or telling a, a, a story well is the most important thing in a film, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, films can still be fun without telling a good story. I mean, I love Pacific Rim 2. It's really fun, but its story's really, really bad. <laughs> it's got a lot of holes in the plot, and it tears open and retcons a lot of things from the first film to make an interesting action flick. Um... Uh, Ready Player One. Its story's not really that great. Um, the characters aren't really that compelling as from a film standpoint, and there's not enough time to develop these characters that were developed in a whole book. When looking back on the book, the book isn't even written that well because the characters in the book aren't even that interesting. But the movie is still a really fun movie because it has amazing visuals, uh, and there's a lot of action sequences. That really drive the plot, and and the the movie was not designed to be a, have a good story. The movie was designed to be a fun, uh, visual blockbuster. That's what it was designed to be, and it succeeded. Um, which you know that could throw in the air like the the idea of subjective subjectiveness when it comes to what is a good film. Um, but I think one of the most one of the I don't want to say the most important thing because there are movies that I like that don't have good story, but telling a story well. That's what I should say. The story can be trash, but as long as you tell it well, um, then, I don't know, man. It's, it's, all, it's all subjective anyways. Look, what I'm saying is Highlander films a good story, but there are some pretty big technical problems with it, like the fact that every single fucking line in the film except for one or two spoken by Clancy Brown, all of it's ADR'd. All of it. All of it's, all of it's a dub. Like, the entire film is just dubbed audio, and it's not even good dubbed audio. And it sucks, because some of the character acting is real good, but they have to redub every line of the fucking movie. And that makes me wonder, I don't know why, but... <laughs> I wonder if they filmed the whole thing and the main dude who plays Connor uh, McLeod, the Highlander. By the way, just so you know, Highlander is not what they are. That's what I uh, thought for a long time after I saw the movie when I was really young and I didn't really take in the whole movie. Highlander is not what they are. They are not a Highlander. Connor McLeod, the main character, is a Highlander and he is an immortal. They are like immortals and I don't know if they have a technical name in the movie, I haven't watched any of the expanded universe of these fucking things, like the seven other movies that take place after it. Yeah, you heard me right. There's seven other fucking movies that ruin it. Um, 
Um, but but they're not called the Highlander. He's just the Highlander because he's a Scotsman and he's a, he he is a Highlander from the Highlands. Um. Um. Bup, 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 bup. But the story is done well. The characters are done interesting well. There there are flaws like that. The every single bit of audio is ADR. It seems like. Um, the accent that the main character, the Highlander, uh, Connor McLeod uses is shit. Like, like there's some flashbacks where he's in Scotland with some other Scots and their accents are like hit or miss. All right. His is like hit or miss. All right. In the flashbacks. But in modern day, I think they tried to do this thing where like his accent evolved over time. Um, because he's been alive for like hundreds of years. But it's fucking awful. His accent is terrible. It's like this weird, vague European accent that just sounds like he didn't properly learn how to speak his native language until he was, like, 15. And then he didn't start learning language until much later, and he barely knows how to, like, actually speak. That's what Connor sounds like when he talks in modern day, and it's really annoying! Because his dialogue is not even that bad either, but um, but the characters are really interesting. The story is really good. It has this big like mystery about it. Like the opening sequence of the film uh, is like he's at this like professional wrestling match in I think New York or maybe Jersey, um, somewhere in New York. He's seeing this wrestling match and like the cries of the people are giving him like everyone in the crowd shouting is giving him like PTSD flashbacks to when he first died, like when he fought in the Highlands as a Scotsman when he was, like, in his first life. Um, And so he eventually, like, whatever, and he, like, shakes it off and goes into the parking garage, and then, like, there's this big fight with this other guy who's an immortal, and the other dude has, like, this rapier, and he has a fucking katana, which, first of all, you're like, hold on. This guy's, this movie's called Highlander. He's a Scotsman. We saw him in a kilt in a flashback for, like, three seconds, literally a minute ago. Why does he have a katana? And, of course, they explain it, and it makes sense. Um, (laughs) But it's, like, this biggest, like, what the fuck? And he has this epic sword fight with a dude in a parking garage. And... And he eventually beheads the dude... And, like, electricity starts coming out of his neck and his body starts levitating off the ground and there are these weird spirits flying around it. And then, like, all the cars start going nuts and there's electric surges in the whole fucking parking garage and, like, car windows explode and shit because there's just, like, so much energy in the room or whatever. And that's the first sequence of the movie. And it's really interesting and really cool. And the characters are cool. Connor's kind of all right like from a from a character standpoint he's cool he's just executed in kind of a lackluster kind of way um actually no his flashbacks are really fucking sweet so and him as a character he's actually really kind-hearted um and he cares about people because uh, he you know he fought as a scotsman he died in battle from his wounds um he came back to life because he's immortal and everyone thinks he's possessed by Satan. Um, and so he gets run out of town. They're going to burn him alive. but his, And all of his family and friends turn on him, which is really kind of depressing. And he's like, what the fuck? And like, his, one, of his, one of his cousins beats him and his uncle's like, that's your cousin, man. And it's really great. Um, and his uncle's like, get out of here, lad. 
and he like saves his life and he's like we'll banish him we'll not burn him at the stake and it's it's real good it's real good um and he finds this woman that accepts him and falls in love with him and they end up like living together for her entire life but like when they're really early on in their in their marriage they meet um uh what's his name ramirez something ramirez is like either his first name or his last name but he's been alive for like god i can't remember how old they say he is like maybe he's like from 2000 bce potentially um which sean connery is not egyptian which is where they i think he's from originally um or maybe he's not i don't remember where his character is supposed to be from but his character is like he's from spain that's where he was currently living but his whole thing is that he's been alive for like 2000 years and he sensed connor's presence in this thing called the quickening which is the energy that all of the immortals tap into. It's just, it's good, right? And so this guy shows up, Ramirez shows up, and he's like, ah, uh, there's not, it's not happening yet. Uh, every, eventually there can only be one immortal that will survive. We, ha we have to kill each other because naturally there will be a force that pulls us closer and closer together towards the end of our big thing here called the, the gathering that we can't really control and we don't know that it's going to be happening when it's happening, but it happens and we all get pulled together and we end up having to kill each other because at the end of the day, there's only there can only be one of us and, and we all have to kill each other. But for now, you have no idea what you're doing. I heard stories about you getting run from I like from getting run off from your home because you've been brought back to life and I am going to teach you what it means to be a Highlander, not a Highlander, a shit. There, there, I'm doing it, and I just explained to you 10 minutes ago that they're not Highlanders. He's a Highlander. He's like, I'm going to explain to you what it is to be an immortal. I'm going to teach you how to fight. I'm going to teach you our rituals, the things that we have been doing with each other, the the different, like, we don't fight on um, sacred ground. Uh, it's, just a tr it's just a tr thing that we all follow. Um... We, you have to decapitate the person to actually kill them and, and take their energy. And when you kill them, like, you gain their, their essence and their energy. Um, and this is what being immortal is like. The first thing he does is Connor really fucking hates water, so they row him out on, 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 the, on, the, on the loch, on a uh, lake somewhere, and Ramirez just pushes him into the water, and he starts drowning, but then you, he realizes he's immortal and he can't die, so he's just at the bottom of the lake uh because he like starts flailing around because he thinks he's drowning and then he just like is like wait i'm i'm not drowning because i'm immortal so i can't die and then he ends up like walking to shore and tries to kill ramirez because he hates ramirez at that point because they're really early on and he like says because ramirez knows he's there but the whole thing is really cool and they have this really good like mentor student bonding thing and it's even more like that it's like a father-son relationship if you want to say it's kind of romantic, you can do that too. There's literally a scene where they're running on the beach barefoot with their shirts open and their chests exposed just running on the beach together because they're like uh, feeling the energy of nature around them because that's that's what the, uh, the quickening is. It's the essence of life, the energy of all life. And so they're just running on the beach, open-shirted, sweaty, glistening together. So you could say they have a romantic relationship if you want, and I won't hold it against you because that's pretty fucking, I mean, it's kind of accurate. 
But Ramirez tells the story like he he has it. Ramirez has a katana because he got it from uh, Masamune. Uh, that's the whole thing is that he like has traveled around for thousands and thousands of years, and so he even went to like imperialist are like imperialist route ancient some some point in japan's history and fell in love with a woman and married this woman and her father was masamune who is the guy who created the katana i think i'm not really sure about my history on that but i think that's what it is and so he that's why he has the katana and he talks about uh, there's this villain that they introduce right away, and let me say, the like in Connor's backstory, the first time he dies, he dies on the battlefield to another immortal, who is specifically there helping this other Scottish clan because he knows, uh, he can sense the Highlander's presence. He senses Connor's presence there, so he falls him. And I just gotta say. You find out later that this guy has been... This guy's basically a caveman, right? He is a caveman-type person who has been alive for, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, um, who's from a group of early humans in Russia somewhere. And he's a really intimidating character. Clancy Brown does a really fucking good job playing this guy who just really doesn't give a shit and is just there to murder people and become the ruler of, of humanity, basically. He wants to be the overlord because he's immortal. Um, the main thing, though, is that nobody really knows what happens when you become the last one, when you defeat all of the other ones. No one really knows. So when you actually get it, you would have he would have realized that he fucked up big time because when Connor finally defeats him at the end of the movie he becomes mortal he still has all of these like weird mystical powers like he can feel all of nature but to a, such a heightened extent that he can like un, like comprehend mentally what people are feeling just from their presence and he can even like read people's minds even if he doesn't comp- comprehend the language they speak and that's something that he wants to do at the end of the movie he talks about how he's like all of these different peoples from different nations that are fighting like I could be the bridge there because I can feel exactly what that one person is saying even though I don't they don't speak the same language as the other person and I can communicate and that's kind of what he wants to do at the end of the movie is he wants to try and unify the world through his powers but he will now die of old age which I don't think um the bad guy realized because uh, none of them knew. Otherwise, he would have been like, well, now I can't be the immortal ruler of humanity. This is so fucking garbage. Um, But it's really interesting. Um, The only main downside is that um, there's a female... There, there's, there's like three female characters in the film. Or four. There's four. One is this lady who is in Connor's flashbacks who wants to just sleep with him. She's like this Scottish lady, um, and she's pretty dumb and evil. The second one is his wife, who is actually really sweet. And This is one aspect of Connor that I think is really sweet, is that when he falls in love with that woman after he knows he's an immortal and Ramirez shows up and he's like, you shouldn't, like I'm just telling you now, you need to leave her because she's going to die and you're not, and it's going to break your heart when you have to stand you know like be there when she dies of old age and he knows that and he decides to stay with her anyways because he genuinely loves this woman and they show that a lot like a bunch of different scenes throughout the ages and she knows that he's not he's not dying and she is 
and they stay together and he's with her when she dies on her deathbed because he is really kind-hearted and genuinely cares about this woman because he married her and he loves her. Also, they can't have children. That's another thing that I didn't mention, but immortals can't have children. It just doesn't work when they try. They don't make babies. They all have irradiated semen, I guess, or uh, infertile wombs until they win, Uh, which there's never any female immortals, but since they never say there can't be, I'm going to say that they definitely existed somewhere um, in the story, and they, I don't know, they can exist. That's what I'm going to say. Um, and she's a really nice character. Um, and then there's the main woman in the the modern plotline, who is kind of an interesting character for most of the movie until towards the end when her and Connor just sleep with each other completely unprovoked. So let me let me set this stage right. She is um like a antiques. No, she's an expert. Oh, God, she's like some learned expert on the history of sword craft and sword making um, from all of Europe to a Central Asia to East Asia and Japan. And she's an expert on that. That's why she is called in because she's friends with um, with maybe she works for the police, but she, she's an, she's an expert that they that the police call in and because there's this guy got beheaded and she's like huh and she like finds like she like you know is like investigating and she finds these like little fibers or whatever from the sword clashes um of the katana that the dude has and she's an expert on swords and she goes to this place and has them analyzed at this university and she's like these shards are like from 1000 BCE how can that be possible? The katana didn't even exist, but this is the, the method used to create this metal. I don't I don't know if this is, like, factual, if you can actually figure this shit out by analyzing, like, shards from a blade of a sword. But she, um, she analyzes it, and she's like, this shouldn't exist. Because she has, like, a fucking book. You find out, like, in the next part of the story, she's written a book on the history of uh, swords in swordcraft in, like, East Asia. Um, and she even has a book on it and she's like, how this can't exist because katanas didn't exist this early. Um, and she ends up trying to find, uh, who it belongs to. She finds Connor McLeod because Connor, since he's like 300 years old, he's become an antiques dealer. That's his thing. This guy, this is, this is such a weird thing thing that I would have never thought that if you look at any movie protagonist from like a a, a male-oriented action film today you'd never see a motherfucker whose main job is an antiques dealer and it not be a joke about how sissy this guy is right like that's what it would be if this were a modern day action flick he would be an antiques dealer and it would be the butt of a bunch of fucking jokes but it's not it's just a fact about who he is as a character so she ends up finding this antiques dealer and, like, asks him a couple questions. Because they bring Connor McCloud in because, um, I can't remember how they, I think they find some of his blood at the scene, maybe? They somehow manage to figure out that he was there and he's in the police station really early on, so she knows who he is. 
Um, and then she also knows that he's an antiques dealer. And then she finds out that these blade, these shards were from this one sword and he's an antiques dealer. And he was also at the scene of the crime. So there's a lot of correlating shit. So there's got to be something involved. And she just wants to know. She Her whole thing in the movie is that she's on like a journey of knowledge, uh, kind of. And she's trying to learn more about the origin of this, this sword, um, this guy, who he is, right? Um, and people are, a lot of people are dying, and she's like, all of these people are being beheaded right here in New York. What the fuck is happening? And so she tries to get a hold of Connor a lot, and he ends up stalking her a little bit, which is not cool. But then she, in return, ends up stalking him, which is not cool. Um, <laughs> so they stalk each other for different... I don't actually know if... Oh, God, that makes me rethink that whole first scene when they're in the same bar together because she comes in first and then he comes in. And I don't know which one of them. Maybe it's just her stalking him at first. I don't really know. Anyways, they stalk each other. But she ends up stalking him and then almost getting killed by the main bad guy played by Clancy Brown. Um, And then she's like, what the fuck is going on? Tell me. And he's like, I can't tell you anything. Like, I'm not going to tell you shit. It doesn't matter. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. Why'd you save my life? And he's just like, because I don't want innocent people to die in the wake of our battles and shit. Um, and it's really cool. We only get a glimpse at, like, one other Highland. Oh, fucking Highlander. God fucking damn it. We only get a glance at one other immortal that he meets with, um, like, three three quarters of the way through the movie. Because he's just like, I need to talk to you because we've known each other for a long time. And it's not Ramirez because Ramirez gets killed by Clancy Brown's character. His name, but I can't remember his name. Um, and but it's the only thing is that she's just trying to research this and figure out what is happening with all of these murders. And then eventually, like this um, Vietnam vet finds Clancy Brown fighting this like Egyptian slash African immortal in an alleyway. And starts firing at them, and then Clancy Brown ends up like stabbing him in the in the torso, and he almost dies. But he goes to the hospital, and then he tells everyone what he saw, and that's even more fuckery. And she mainly is just like, "What is going on? I need to find out. All of these murders are happening, and I need to know what's going on." And then they fuck. It's this weird scene. Okay, so he, like, it's not, okay, it's weird, because he takes her up, she's, like, inquiring about him, she's at his front desk at his uh, antiques uh, dealership place, talking to this woman, who is the, actually, she's another character. Um, There's a scene where Connor McCloud, it's in, like, World War II, and there's this little Jewish girl, I think, probably, I'm assuming she's Jewish, even though it's never said, because it's a Nazi trying to kill this little girl. And I think her last name, it's implied that she is uh, Jewish. But this, there's, it's like World War II, and he's like running away from some Nazis, and he ends up in this barn where this little girl is hiding, and he's like, what's your name? Come here. It's safe. I'm not going to hurt you. Um, and he like uh, picks her up, and he's like, come on. We got to go. We got to leave this place. And then the Nazi comes in from behind and shoots him in the back and he falls over on top of the little girl as she's freaking out but he he puts a finger up to his lips because he's not dead he's immortal he's like Shh. um and the german guy walks up and he like lays there motionless and then he like knocks the nazi guy down picks up his gun and aims it at him and he like says something to him in english um and then the guy says something to him in german about whatever and then he ends up killing the, the nazi and 
they walk away, and that girl is eventually like the secretary for his uh, his antiques company because he his whole thing early on when he's with his wife and he talks to Ramirez is that he really wants a child, and when Ramirez tells him that that immortals physically cannot have children it's really heartbreaking for him because he wants to just have a normal life with a spouse and children and he wants to love his spouse and he wants to raise a kid and he can't do any of that. And that's like his entire life and what he's wanted. And it's just kind of shattered. And so this girl is like a surrogate child for him. He raises this, this girl. Um, and like, she eventually like goes to school or whatever. I mean, we don't see that, but obviously she, I assume she goes to school, but he raises this girl as his own. And then she becomes like his antiques dealer or his his um his secretary essentially and and so the main lady who's like the sword expert she comes in asking the secretary about Connor and trying to get a hold of him and she's like I'm sorry Connor's not available Mr. McLeod or whatever cuz he's using like a fake name oh yeah cuz she researches she she does like an analysis of his signature with a bunch of other signatures throughout history um, because she finds out that the name, the alias he's using is the name of a baby that died, like, right after birth that he's just been doing for centuries as he's been finding names of babies that have been born and then died, um, but taking their names so that, like, they will be official things that definitely did exist and kind of align with his age based on when they were born on the birth certificate. It's it look it's a little bit it's not over the top but it's kind of like it, it it's a, it's a good way of explaining what he has done to stay around in modern society from this aspect of someone who can never die um but she gets there and she's talking to the secretary and then she's like I just need to talk to him because this fucking thing just happened and this this veteran just talked about all this shit in the hospital and everybody believes him because it crazy shit's going on. And she's like, look, I'm sorry, Mr. McLeod's not here. And then he shows up, and he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I need explanations. And he's like, okay, fine, fuck, just follow me. And he takes her up to his, like, penthouse area where he has all of these artifacts and lets her into this secret room where he has a fuck ton of, like, old Celtic, Scottish um, memorabilia and different things that he's, like, collected throughout his life. Um... And he takes this dagger and he hands it to her and he's like, here, stab me. And she's like, what? I'm not going to stab you. And he's like, I'm immortal. You can't kill me. And she doesn't believe him and he just grabs her hand with the dagger and plunges it into his stomach and pulls it out. And this is like this moment of realization for her when she realizes, oh my God, there are these immortal warriors fighting each other for supremacy in New York. This is crazy. And then they fuck? They have sex. And it makes no sense. No sense. And thankfully, right after that, right? Right after they bone, they immediately are like, we can't be together. <laughs> we can't do this. And he's like, for your safety, I don't want to... But it, like they shouldn't have done it in the first place because there was nothing else. There was no romantic tension between them, no sexual tension between them for the rest of the film. It just feels like somebody on the board was like, gotta put a sex scene in there. Gotta do it, gotta put that sex scene in there. And the main writer is just like, why? They haven't done anything that would imply that. And he's like, nope, need a sex scene in there. 
It's Hollywood. I'm the boss. I'm the producer. Fuck you. Because it just seems so out of place for them to do it. And, but after they do it, they're like, we got separate ways. He's like, I don't want to, like, put you in the line of fire because the bad guy thinks that we have a romantic connection. Um, It's for your safety. And she's like, no, I, I get it. I understand. Just be careful, Connor. And she immediately gets kidnapped. She immediately gets kidnapped by Clancy Brown. And that's like the big final fight is Clancy. There's a, there's an amazing scene. There's there, By the way, there's a scene where Clancy Brown and uh, Connor go to a church and talk. And Clancy Brown is like in all black. He just buzzed his fucking hair because he it's only he just killed like another dude and it's only him and Connor left and and they're in a church together talking because they they don't attack they don't fight on hollowed ground because that's something that or sacred ground because that's something that all of them respect um even though Clancy Brown's character is clearly not a christian and doesn't believe in god because he has this back and forth with one of the priests but they have that back and forth there and um it's really, it's really great. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the dialogue. I just remember they're really like at each other's throats, and and Clancy Brown's character is just kicking back, like oh, I'm just, I can't wait to fucking kill you and like rule the planet and just be do whatever the fuck I want and have all this power. And Connor's like, oh man, I hate you. You're just, you're gonna burn. Like you're just, I, I don't know if Connor's still Catholic or not, because he clearly was when he was Scottish. I don't know if he kept that religion as he went on, but um but no, so there's this awesome scene right after Clancy Brown kidnaps the girl where he's just driving around town in this car that he stole um and he's like intentionally driving in oncoming traffic and like taking his hands off the wheel and having this he's like oh no and he's like scream like she's screaming and he's like oh no and he like covers his hands when he's in the driver's seat and he's just completely fucking around because he doesn't care if he dies right so he's just playing and he's like what you never played chicken before and he's like driving it on it's so good it's such this fucking fun scene that of course this evil guy who can't die would fucking do to fuck with someone. It's, of course, like, it, everything in the film, except for that sex scene, to me, seems 100% natural and like, oh, of course this would happen. Of course they would do X and Y in this situation. Except for that sex scene. That's probably why it threw me off so much, because it didn't fit with the flow of the rest of the movie and how natural everything else seemed progression-wise. Um, but the final fight is on top of this building and there's this big neon sign and they end up breaking this like water tower thing that's on top of the roof and they end up falling through and it's this big awesome climactic fight. And then once Connor defeats him, uh, because it's like this big awesome explosion and there's like spirits flying around Connor and like electricity shooting out of him everywhere. And then it's like the monologue and it's like he's speaking as if he's talking to Ramirez because this is something that's weird that they don't really touch on, but Ramirez fucking talks back. Like, his soul speaks to Connor after he's won. So I think Connor might have the ability to also talk to the souls of the dead if he wants. Question mark? But he's, like, sitting on a hill. He, like, drives back to Scotland. That's his main thing, is that he goes back to Scotland with the lady who is now his love interest, I guess. Which is so fucking dumb. But he goes back there and he's like sitting and like looking out at the greenery of Scotland. And he's got this monologue where he's talking to Ramirez's 
spirit, I guess, about how he can feel all of these new things now and how everything else that he felt before is increased and how he wants to help the world and be like this peacekeeper and try and bring you nations together. And it's really cool. And it ends there. And that was a really fucking delightful experience. Also, side note, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. The entire soundtrack of the movie is just fucking Queen songs, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Every song, even when songs are just playing on the radio, it's a Queen song. Uh, there's no other... The only other song in the movie is when Clancy Brown just speaks the words to Rock of Ages when he's in the Catholic Church. That's it. It's better to burn out than fade away. He says the lines to a song. It's not even sung. It's fucking amazing. Because uh, there's just Queen throughout the whole movie. And it's just so 80s and I love it. Um, and that was one of those experiences. Like, I went back and I watched Fifth Element and all I had were criticisms. The only thing that I liked was Chris Tucker's character. And I was even upset that Chris Tucker's character in Fifth Element wasn't as good as I remembered. Like, Chris Tucker's character could have been so much more as this, like, Michael Jackson sci-fi analog, because that's who he was supposed to be. But they didn't, like, go far enough with him. But still, favorite character in the movie, Chris Tucker's character. Can't remember his name. Um, but that was, what, that was like, I went back and I watched Fifth Element, and all I could think about was how bad it was. And I could only recognize the bad things about it. But with Highlander, I went back and I watched it, and I'm like, damn, all I can think of, this is a really fucking good movie. Like, yeah, I noticed right away. All the dialogue was dubbed over. I noticed right away. All the fucking, um, all the accents were trash. Um, and of course I noticed when the sex scene happened, I went, what the fuck? Why? Why? But other than that, all around, Highlander was good. I think Highlander is a good film now in, in 20... I'm dating myself by doing this. In 2018, Highlander is still a, a fun, awesome, good movie. Whereas Fifth Element is not. One thing about Fifth Element that I found out after the fact is that when it came out, it was like 50-50 across the board. People saying this is the best summer blockbuster ever and people saying this is the absolute worst summer blockbuster ever. So clearly it's very polarizing, which is why a decent amount of my friends are like, What do you mean? What do you mean this fucking... Uh uh, Fifth Element's bad. It's amazing! Fuck you! So, like, I, I understand now why I'm like, Fifth Element's garbage, and people are like, Fifth Element's amazing. You can go fuck yourself. Because that's the general reception of all of the Western audience when it came out. But Highlander, looking back on it, aside from, like, one... Okay, so there's one line in the movie that's kind of homophobic is when the cops are interrogating Connor at the very beginning about the murder, one of the cops is like, I got a different theory. You're a, a gay slur, and you, you went down there to get some head from this guy, and then you didn't want to pay him, so you, so you, you cut off his head, and then Connor like starts beating the shit out of him, I'm assuming, because the implication is that, oh, he implied I'm gay, so I'm going to beat the shit out of him. Which is really doesn't make sense, because him and Ramirez's connection is gay as fuck. All of their scenes are gay as fuck. If you're into that queer theory, you'll probably love this movie. But, well, maybe not because of that line. And that's the only line in there that's really like that. But then there's one character who's the tenant of the hotel that Clancy Brown is staying at. 
or I guess not the tenant, he's the super of the hotel Clancy Brown is staying at. He's the manager or whatever. And he is clearly designed to look like a gay guy in the way that he dresses, but also has sores on his face. Like, like, not the actor had the sores. Like, they put the sores on the character's face and made him this queer-sounding guy who has STIs, who's a coward. And that's that's your only real implied gay representation in the movie, aside from Connor and his... Um, and by the way, Connor and Ramirez in the film, they have a lot of screen time together where he's mentoring him and is real gay if you if you interpret it that way. But Connor's not gay, but they, they're... They have a lot of real sexy uh, one-on-one times where they're shirtless doing stuff and they're like really intimate with one another and laughing and running on the beach. It's real good, it's real gay, but it's not gay because he's not gay, but they're real gay. And I'm probably, Ramirez is probably gay as fuck. He's probably bi as fuck. In reality, looking back on it, Ramirez, I'm sure the writers would be like, oh no, he's not straight. You thought he was straight? Nah. <laughs> he paying as fuck, boy. Um... Um, but yeah, just, uh, Highlander, good movie. Haven't watched any of the other ones, but it's a good movie. Um, this went way longer. I was originally planning it to be 15 minutes, and then I was like, oh, now it's 20, now it's 30, now it's almost 40. So this is going to be like an older episode where it's 45 minutes long and not bite-sized like I usually like them. But I figured that's okay. I think most of you probably won't mind unless you don't like the sound of my voice, in which case I'm sorry. I can't really fix that. Well, actually, I could. I could get my tonsils removed and then do something with the fact that my sinuses are always stuffed up. Um, but that's not whatever, you know. Um, thank you for tuning in. This has been Thoughtfully Absent Minded. Um, if you guys uh, like the show, uh, tell your friends. Uh, send, them, send them a link to this bad boy. Um, um, and... Um, as always, uh, thanks for stopping by, um, and I'll see you guys next time. Thoughtfully absent-minded for you and me is thoughtfully absent-minded. Come and see, yeah, come and see.